Praise the Lord. Well, I, I hope to minister to you today and for God to speak into your heart. I really want the Lord to be the lift of your head, to bring encouragement, bring challenge that will do you good. Challenge that do you good, not crush you. And um, I'm mindful of the state of God's people. I'm also mindful of the tension between the prophetic impulses of heaven and, and the need to care for God's people who are traumatized by the chaos of the last two years. And so it's a real it's a real tension that because you want to say what God's saying, but you're also mindful of the challenges that people are facing in their flesh. And um, you're not just a soul, are you? Often we are in a church context, treating one another like souls and we're spiritually um, encouraging one another to go on with God, but you're a soul in a body. And your body um, has taken a battery, and I'll mention that in my message today. Over the last two years, there have been stress responses physically. Um, it's affected your brain function. It's affected your biochemistry. It's affected your psychology. It's affected your relationships. It's affected your work energy levels and patterns, it's affected your um, network of contacts, and there's lots of grief in the church as well as the world, and so I care for that, I really, it really does matter to me that we recover, and we recover healthily, we recover in God's time, but God is still speaking, right? And God is still speaking about a bright future to me, I, I don't buy into the doom-mongering Nothing against premillennialism. I have a kind of tenderness towards that and amillennialism. Amillennialism. But I'm not somebody who gets particularly lost in this idea that we're going to just cling on till we're raptured. I do believe we're to advance the kingdom. Whatever our theological worldview, we've got to take God's kingdom forward. And we're on this earth for that reason, to bring glory to God. The Bible says everything was made for the praise of his glory. And we just sung it then, you're worthy of all. You're worthy of it all. From you are all things, to you are all things, to you deserve the glory. It's in Ephesians, that, isn't it? Everything was made to the praise of his glory. You were made for the praise of his glory. And this is where we land today in today's teaching that quite often we operate as a human being in a way that is against design. So God made you for the praise of his glory. But what we do as human beings, and I'll briefly recap over last week's message to help you get into this one. What we do as human beings is we orb life around ourselves and make it about us. Now, the problem with that, it'll only lead you to a place of being dissatisfied and empty and often feeling broken by the life choices that you've made that you thought were the road to success or satisfaction, significance, but actually was a road away from God and his purposes for your life. God is calling us to recognize that we are pilgrims in this world and that in that knowledge, we should live a certain way. We should live as kingdom people, as Jesus-centered people, and as people who know that every word, every thought and deed is written in heaven, all the books will be open one day. I don't mean that to scare you. I don't want you to be troubled by that. It's not a 
spiritual threat. It just means that God writes things down because our lives matter. Everything that we are matters to God. And so you don't need to worry about those in this world who are messing up and sinning and who are obviously getting away with it, the crime syndicates or, I mean, Simon would have a thing to say about that, you know, with his new police role. But one day God will get him, Simon, even if you don't. Mr. Big in the city will be in front of Mr. Big, the Mr. Big. So no one gets away with anything in this life. God is just and the judge of all people. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I I think the biggest problem in humankind is that we are self-centered people. It is just the way we are. From the even Christians, because we 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 were conditioned to be like that because of the world we live in. It taught us to live a different way. That's why biblically I don't believe in a sinful nature. Leave that one hanging. The Bible doesn't call it sinful nature, it calls it the flesh. The flesh divorced from the Holy Spirit was conditioned to live a certain way because of its environment. But those who were connected with the Lord, who were one spirit with him, learned to live a different way. The Holy Spirit mentors them into the way they were designed to live. And so, I I think the essence of these two messages on Isaac is born is about God rescuing us from selfishness to live his way. And that that message is relevant to you, whether you're a Christian or not. That, That is the only way that God designed human beings to be, to live under his lordship. That's why when you call people to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, confess him as saviour, follow him as Lord, it's not some sort of nice idea that God had one that I know what I'd like. I'd like some subservient individuals who do exactly what I say and follow me because I'm the gaffer. You know, God designed us to live under his authority. That is the design of our creator. And Jesus invites us back into our lordship because humankind in the garden divorced itself from the lordship of God. It said, actually, and the serpent tempted them with this, you shall be as gods. You'll climb the ladder. You'll be it, Mr. Big. Oh, that's a nice idea. I'd like to be like God. I'd like to be an impressive human being. So maybe God was wrong. Maybe I'll ignore God and I'll not believe God. And isn't it interesting that Jesus told us that the way into the kingdom of heaven was to believe God and to put him back as the Lord who we obey. The way out was the way in. And so in the garden, we got this malady that everyone in humankind, whether you're a believer or not, now lives a self-interested life. And Jesus was sent to die on a cross to rescue us from selfishness. But you see that repeating pattern in Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible. They messed up in the garden. They felt exposed. They were no longer feeling safe. They were no longer feeling significant. They were no longer feeling secure. And then along came all of the mess that came from that being disconnected from God. Because all the mess in our world is born of being disconnected from God. Choosing to live it your way. You know, the, I did it my, come on, somebody sing better than me. I did it my way, Frank Sinatra. Or Blue Eyes. That's the human race. Shaking your fist at God like Basil Fawlty. I did it my way and wasn't it great? And we see that in Genesis all the way through this sort of growth towards the Babel Tower. From Cain to Lamech to the... To the uh, sons of God that came and and, and turned 
babies out from the women to be Nephilim. Do you remember that weird passage? Giants of Genesis 6. People rebelling against God. And then you have the flood, God resets. And then after a reset comes along another generation that builds up a tower and makes it about themselves. We don't get the memo, do we, as people? I, I believe the Lord spoke to me in my devotions last year and said, the Babel church has fallen. And Isaac is born. The Isaac church is born. I'll explain that again briefly now. You see, what we've done as Christian people is we've said, Lord, I think I know what you want me to do to make the kingdom advance. So how about you bless me for giving birth to my Ishmael ministry? And somehow we we walked into a measure of God's blessing because God loves us. And if we proclaim Christ or if we build something up that centers around biblical truth, the Lord said, well, I'll bless that. It's true. But where are the people that will say, what do you want me to do, Lord? Because Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is about following the Father's voice. He said in John 5, I only ever do what I see the Father doing. That's pretty intimate. He sees the Father in every day. That's an Old Testament seer. He was prophetic to the point where he saw the invisible. He was aware of what Daddy was doing in every moment. That's intimate. I only do what I see the Father doing. And that's why in Romans 8, 14, it says, these are the children of God. Who, Paul? Who are the children of God? Those who are led by the Spirit of God. Now, you can only be led by the Spirit of God if your heart is sensitive to the voice of God. But most of the church have run on ahead and made their Ishmael ministries or their Babel towers, and the Lord has had to come along and blank the canvas again and again and say, look, apart from me, you can do nothing. When will you learn this lesson, church, that it's not about you? Of course, God loves us. God wants us to enjoy working with him for his glory. God God wants us to be satisfied in him alone. But the church has substituted the elevation and the exaltation of God for self-interested church leadership and ministry. And all around the world, we've got people marketing themselves because in a quest to be like, person X, they want to be the next Brian Albonke, or they want to be the next Brian Hughes, or whoever you're into, I don't care. People don't impress me. You might feel like that now. I mean, maybe COVID taught us that. People don't impress me. God impresses me, right? And I said to you last week, I know loads of people who move in signs and wonders, loads of people. People who've seen the dead raised. Jonathan Conrath, who's coming, I think he's had two, maybe three people raised from the dead. Actually, He's a mighty man of God, but it doesn't impress me. Do you know what really impresses me about Jonathan? He really loves Jesus. I like that. I like that. And this is where God's trying to get us to. I'm in the middle of the worship before, and the Lord said, Steve, do you love me? Always says that to me, well, often. That's what he's interested in. He wants heart-to-heart devotion. He's not particularly interested in ministry output. Ministry output comes from intimacy with God. Those who know the Lord will do exploits. It's just a given. I think the church of Jesus Christ needs to understand that God has allowed COVID for many reasons we don't understand, 
But one of the byproducts in God in his sovereignty allowing the COVID pandemic to happen, whatever you feel about it, however you interpret it, whatever you see it as, is that it's brought the church to the knees. And rather like Abraham and Sarah in their elderly, tired state, the church now ambles out of COVID landscape thinking we can't really do that much. Look at the state of us. We're depleted. How can we have sons? And the thing that the church doesn't know, they're on the knife edge of something new. They don't know it. Only those who've been with the Lord and seen what God is up to by the Spirit, they don't recognize that God is about to move in the world in a way we've never seen. In our lifetime, I'm not telling you something that I believe a little bit or it might happen. I believe it with all my heart. God is on the move. Let me say something that you probably know anyway, but forgive me for saying it. COVID has a shelf life. Oh, come on, Steve. You can say, oh, COVID will be with us forever. All this, yeah, I know, get that. But in terms of restrictions and crushing the world and this nonsense about the globalists sitting on the... On the, on the seat of power, I don't really give a monkey's about George Soros and Bill Gates and all of that business. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Jesus is Lord. And these men, these men have no power to stop what God will do in the nations. They have no power. They think, some of them think in authority positions, in government. Jesus is Lord. And do you know this church that will come out of this, the Isaac church that is humble and yielded and walking in true sonship, not self-promoting marketing of campaigns of the ministry, these true sons and daughters of God will look just like the Lord. They won't get off on the miracles. They'll get off on being with God. Telling you, that will be... I'm turning into Joe Oden. One of those... (laughs) One of those marks, <laughs> some of you got that. <laughs> some of, I, mean, I wasn't trying to copy him. <laughs> One of the marks of a future move of the Spirit will be we will have incredible things happen amongst us. But we will not be distracted by them. Our eyes will be on him. Mmm. Mmm. You know what I mean? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Church is no longer feeling strong. In fact, it's weary and largely unproductive like Abraham and Sarah. The church looks very unlikely to produce anything that will impact all the nations, for that was the promise through Isaac, all the nations. But it remains true in God's economy. You are never too old to birth a move of God. And I mean that chronologically. And I mean that in terms of a a figurative representation of the state of the church now. I want to say to people in their senior years, God wants to use you in a future move of God to parent those who are coming through. So if you're, if you're to use, forgive me, to use a football illustration, if you're wanting to hang your boots up, forget it. 
okay? Unless you want to be rebellious. Because as Steve Hill preached, says, if you've got breath in your lungs, do something for God. And Steve was an incredible evangelist, but he has a point, doesn't he? We are here because God has a plan for our lives. And he ain't finished with you yet, folks. No more of the Ishmaels that we can produce by the strength of our own arm. May we not reach up like the Babel Towers and see what we can build for our own glory. But may we know that Babel reached up, but Isaac dug down. The story I'm going to read is from Genesis 26. Can you flick onto the second slide, Joel? There you go, that's the one. I'm going to talk about Isaac is born, part two, and it's this idea of pitch a tent in the valley. The Lord said this to me even before I read this text, and I wonder what it meant. Then I read the text fully, and I got into it. Just before I read the narrative, Genesis 26, 18 to 25, let me just give you a little bit of background on this story. Our reading is set in a desert location. The Beersheba Valley is located in a desert region, and Beersheba itself is situated on the northern edge of the Negev Desert. Just say the name Beersheba, and images come to mind of an old crusty patriarch leaning on his staff as the dry winds of the wilderness swirl around him. Perhaps, church, just humor me for a minute. Perhaps you can imagine Abraham or Isaac, in our case in this story, squinting through the head covering that shelters his wrinkled face and thirsty lips as he scans the barren Negev for thieves. Now, these thieves are not to take his flocks and possessions. These thieves are the ones who will steal water, the most precious resource in this location, the Negev's most indispensable commodity. Bless you, Neil. God bless you, brother, man of God. Let me read this reading. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same name his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Esek, which means argument, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one as well. So he named it Sitna, which means hostility. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. So he named it Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in this land. Do you like that already? Come on. Are you hearing where I might might be going with that? Can read on? From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid for I'm with you. I'll bless you and I'll increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. I believe, church, when I was preparing for this, both last week and this week, I heard the Lord say, pitch your tent in the valley. You can hear a ring in there. I don't know what that is. Can anyone else hear that? Thanks, guys. Might have to change to my microphone. I don't know. The characters in our story here are, as we've just read, pitching a tent in a valley and then digging a well. The last few years have certainly been a valley experience. Would you agree? 
been a valley experience on a global scale. I believe, though, that God is wanting us to put a tent here and learn the lessons of this desert valley. And I've got three lessons, which I'll come to shortly. The characters in our story were standing at the, in the arid winds of Tel Beersheba, and the truth seems both overwhelming and resistible that Beersheba, this location, epitomizes the faith God required for people to live in the Holy Land. God used this unassuming, barren place to shape some of the most significant lives in the Bible. Dare I say to you that God is using this valley desert that we're in at the moment to shape us? And he wants to make us and not break us. I don't mean to be flippant. I know there's been incredible losses, even within our church. But I believe that God is a God of the present. He said, I am, but he's also a God who is the Alpha and Omega. He's the God of the future. And he plans for good things for his people. And God is shaping us for the future. His global church. I believe this desert valley we're walking through in this awful season is having the same effect Spiritually speaking, God is allowing it to shape his church and teaching them some very deep lessons, not only how to survive, but how to thrive in his kingdom. It's a reset which teaches us to dig down rather than build up. Dig down rather than build up. Beersheba served as the last stop, listen to this, the last stop on the road from Dan to Beersheba. Did you, did you hear that phrase, from Dan to Beersheba, from north to south? Beersheba was a dead end. This season has felt like a dead end. We want to reverse out of the cul-de-sac. We feel like we don't want to carry on down this road. And I think there is that sense of what's gone on with Isaac in this story. He kind of got to the end of the road. He went from place to place disputing over wells, and eventually he had his breakthrough. I think it's very typical of the Lord to take people to the very edge of their limits. Think of Moses and the people of God at the Red Sea. And to the point of the passable, impassable. How on earth am I going to get through this Red Sea moment in my life? Or Elisha at the Jordan is like, come on, where's the God of Elijah? And wants to break open the Jordan to get through. God is the waymaker, which we sing a lot about. But he has to take his church and his people in history to a place where they're dependent on him for making a way. Because if it was something that we could achieve ourselves, we would be glorified. But God is taking his church, his people, to the point and the posture of frustration where they say, enough, Lord, turn the tide. Take this COVID off this planet. Now, some of you, when, when, I, when I say this, I've said this the last few weeks, some of you, you'll still be like, that's too big a prayer, Steve. Can you just think about that one again? And think about who you're talking to. How about we all start, agree today to start praying in enough, Lord. With respect, we love you, Lord. But you alone can sort this mess. Enough, Lord. Mighty God. We want to take the kingdom forward your way. We've learned the lesson, Lord. We can't do it our way. We tried to build our Babels. We tried to birth our Ishmaels. Okay, Lord, speak now. Your servant's listening. What do you want to do? Anything, God whatever it looks like, with whoever, whenever, for whatever I'm in, Lord. Both feet. That's what God's done to the church. Because when this dead end at Beersheba, spiritually speaking, many people will feel the sense in this room of being in that cul-de-sac right now. It's kind of an uncertain holding pattern. Have you seen that with aeroplanes? When's this plane going to land? 
There's a movie that I won't quote because you'll probably judge me for watching it back in the day with, with, Mel, with um, John McLean in, I've forgotten his name, the actor. <laughs> I'll give it away there. Where the plane's circling, they've got terrorists on the plane. <laughs> Bruce Willis, they, you've t don't, I, the pastor never said the film. <laughs> I love it, love, love a bit of Die Hard. You didn't hear that. <laughs> the, the, the plane's circling and they're going to run out of fuel. That's the, the story. <laughs> Do you remember on the plane with me? I read the psalm to you to comfort you. <laughs> but I read though I walked through the valley. As Sue's, as Sue's panicking, I said, I've got a word for you, Sue. She was panicking. It was really cruel. I was very immature. I'd never do that again on mission. Come on, mission with me again. You'll see a different man. I was 18 at the time. <laughs> I'll take you again, Sue. You'll see I've changed. Jesus has worked on me. <laughs> The church has been in a holding pattern. The world has been in a holding pattern, but I believe the Lord wants to land the plane safely and take us into a new season, a new dawn. God's taken us to the end of ourselves and we sit here like elderly Abraham and Sarah, wondering if we've missed out on all that God wants to do with us and through us. We tried our best, built our Ishmaels, but God wants to show us what he can do. We lie on this desert floor and long for living water. Where are you in this desert landscape? You might be praying in your own words to God. Where are you, Lord, in this mess? And you listen carefully for the Lord's voice. And maybe if God spoke, maybe you would say this. Pitch your tent in the desert. Which is a challenge for many reasons. But God has called us to abide here now in the moment. To learn how to seek and draw water. So that we might refresh others and those in our orb. So what are the valley lessons? Let's have a look at the next slide, please. The valley lessons. Survey the land. That's one for Aidy. Dig down and expect encounters. Isaac's servants, the Bible said, dug in the valley. They dug down and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water is ours. So we named the well Essek, which means argument, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over this one also. So we named it Sitna, which means hostility. This COVID valley, you may be able to agree with this statement, has been a place of arguments and hostility. Human beings have been under a tremendous amount of stress. Listen, I said it before, you're not just a soul, you're a soul and a body. And I like the scripture in 3 John 2 where it says, Beloved, I pray above all things that your soul prospers, that your body prospers even as your soul prospers. Did you hear the, the two there? That your body prospers and will be in good health even as your soul prospers. I'm sure you're aware of this, but your body has been under a tremendous amount of stress the last two years. I hope this is going to be really practical and helpful, this first point. You're probably more tired and have less energy than you used to before this landscape started. Some of you are thinking you've been through an aging process rapidly over the last two years. And stress can have an impact in that way. But I think there's more to it than that. When I studied some brain science and some basic psychology this week to back this up, I noticed some interesting patterns in a superficial gaze at brain science and, and psychology. It's not uncommon 
for chronic stress to make you feel tired and to make you feel like you cannot do what you used to do. You know, your spouse or your close friend won't be able to help you to navigate this. You have to make choices for yourself. You have to make choices about your diet, your exercise, how much you sleep, how intimate you are with God. There are things that other people can't do for you. I'm preaching at you here, and this is something that I need to work on. Diet, exercise, sleep. I'm not very good at looking after myself. And I want, what I want to say to you in, in this season of um, surveying the land or understanding where you are, understanding all of the reasons why there was in, that, in our story arguments and disputes, it's because of the stress of the desert they were in. And they're fighting for those things which they need to survive. It's a picture of the chronic stress the world's been under in COVID. The chronic COVID wilderness valley we've been in has affected us. It can affect your memory. Did you know that? I wonder if you've been struggling to recall things in this season. How's your memory these days? I wonder if you could all answer that. If you've noticed a dip in brain function or memory recall, it's likely that your brain and body are in what clever bods call survival mode. I'm sure they have a better name for it, but that's what they say for people like us to understand them. Been in survival mode. High levels of cortisol can lead to deterioration of the hippocampus, a part of the brain, the part of the brain associated with learning or memory. As your brain's energy is focusing solely on surviving, it leaves the other parts of your brain, like the hippocampus, deflated and with limited energy. Additionally, excess cortisol, the, the substance released as... Is it a happy drug, doctor? Cortisol? Is it like an... an, is it an Stress response leads to fewer new brain cells being made in the hippocampus. So in short, we're less smart than we used to be. It doesn't mean it's a permanent state, but it's like, you, it's, it's like your brain's functions move from here to a different region, and we are, some of us haven't got, you know, there's clever people, it's okay to lose a bit. Some people need their brain function, Jesus, Lord. <laughs> but ultimately in this season, we're not as smart as we were before COVID. This has led to make many people making many poor decisions. Often we self-medicate through the choices we make to help us through to, as a coping mechanism. So don't beat yourself up if you've started to develop bad habits, but walk out of it with trusted people. Some of the sins in your life need to be stopped, not just because they're destroying you spiritually, but they're destroying you physically too. Summary, in this season, we're not as smart as we were before COVID. This has led us to make poor decisions, self-medicate, or have decisions made which are ill-considered because of stress. Stress can affect decision-making. Stress not only impacts our memory, but many other brain functions. While the brain experiences continuous stress and works on fighting it, another part of the brain which takes a back seat is the prefrontal cortex, another part of the brain. The prefrontal cortex is the part of the brain <clears throat> which coordinates higher-order tasks or complex tasks, such as decision-making, judgment, and social interaction. Yeah, here I'm going with this. However, when you enter survival mode, those, that part of your brain that helps with decision-making, judgment, and social interaction is not performing at its best, making it harder for us to operate in those modes intelligently and to achieve our goals. Times of stress can lead to a place where the prefrontal cortex shrinks, resulting in longer-term issues. Now, poor decision-making and 
<clears throat> negative social interaction have been at the forefront of human society over the last three, few years. Have you seen that in politics and the media and you know, all the sorts of things that you and I have made as decisions? You might have berated yourself recently and thought, I wish I'd not done that, I shouldn't have said that. Can you just be a little bit kinder to yourself? And we need to learn to be kind to one another. We need to develop that. We need to work on that. We need to go into a prayer closet and recognize sometimes we just need to forgive our brothers and sisters because we've all been under stress and trauma in the last few years. Is this gone in? I'm going to get through the next two quicker than this. Don't worry. It's important to recognize that this has happened to our brain function causing division to be rife in many places, causing there to be survival mode all around us in people. And when we recognize this, it would help us to take check and stock of where we're up to and realize in this season, church, I encourage you to take care of yourself. Now, that's not selfish behavior. That's wisdom. So physically and spiritually, take care of yourself. I'm preaching to myself here. Get some good sleep. Try to eat a good diet. Get some exercise in. I'd book myself into the Coniston 14. I don't know how on earth I'm going to finish the Coniston 14. It was nearly 20 years ago since I last did the Coniston 14. I, I, get, I can't do three miles without stopping to walk. I just pretend I'm on a prayer walk if I bump into anyone in my, flore, in my, flore, in my fluorescent jacket. But at least I've put something in front of me as a target. You might think, well, I can't walk up the hill. Find something you can do and set little targets to improve your, improve your physical health. Talk to people on the phone or on the video phone because social interaction affects brain function. Don't be, if you're lonely, flag it up with the elders. Tell people, Pastor, I want you to visit me. For no other reason, I just, I'm lonely. Come and have a cup of tea with me, a cup of coffee. We'll, we'll work something out because you need social interaction. That's COVID has damage this in society and one of your targets should be to speak to maybe encourage three or four people a day 30 seconds glenn's good at this little text little phone call so survey the land know where we're up to now know that we're in a place of survival mode and point two dig down in it what do i mean by dig down in it the bible says he moved on from there and dug another well no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room and we'll flourish in the land. Above everything else you do in this season, dig for water. What do I mean by that? As I've just said earlier, seek spiritual and physical refreshment as your priorities for life. Okay, so you might look at the church program and know that Jesus is still trying to work with us as leaders to adapt to give him room for God. It's still busy for me. There's still a lot on. But, but what I would say to you is our priorities are Sunday services, DC groups, and prayer. That's it. I don't want to load our diaries with too much. I'm still working on Arrow. There's a lot going on in Arrow. But let me say this to you. You are not under compulsion or guilt to be at anything. Be free. Be free not to attend but be wise on the same footing to invest in yourself spiritually. Be amongst the people where you can. Don't neglect coming together on a Sunday when you can. Don't neglect 
small group interaction. DC groups, you don't have to be there every week. There's a rhythm that you can get into, and it's all about forming those community bonds so you can support one another in life, more than just having a Bible study with your people that you like or you don't like, as the history of small, small groups have been in the past, cell groups, live groups, small groups, connect groups, whatever you want to call it. No, this is about disciples helping one another grow in Christ through clusters of church people being together. So one of the things I've done with my DC group is I've pushed teaching away from myself to empower others to do the teaching. Because the first session I did in my DC group, I kind of repeated my Sunday sermon and blessed them. They listened to me, but it was I was even torturing myself. <laughs> my point is we've got to understand DC groups as being imperative to growth. It's about drawing people together as family in God. But prioritize refreshment spiritually and physically. Dig down is an opposite spirit to build up, isn't it? It's different to Babel. Dig down is hidden. Dig down is not about us. Dig down is about pursuing in the hidden place like Jesus would often go away. God is wanting the church to learn that lesson in the desert, that this is the desert time to learn. Dig down that would carry on for the rest of your Christian journey. I love being with Suzette Hattinge in Florida, and her and Gail were in the foyer. I was chatting to them, and then Suzette suddenly gets this sort of alarm. Like, <laughs> she's, she's, she's Germanic as well and a strong lady. I've got to go. <laughs> so, where, where are you going, Suzette? I'm going to pray. Two o'clock, pray every day. She knew what it was to dig down in a disciplined way and go after God's presence. And we've got to learn whatever suits your life. How can I pursue his presence? And how can I make sure that I'm well where at all possible? I want to commend to you this book by my friend John Hardin, the pastor of Frontline Church in Liverpool. When we go over it, in our, again, there's no pressure to attend this either. I'm not trying to do the hard sell. If you don't want to come, that's fine. But this is a great book that helps us to be disciples in a way that doesn't add loads more plates to spin. The idea of reflex, like poking your finger in your eye where you blink, is a sense that he believes Christian life should be a reflex. So one of the things, just put the next slide on, Joel. I put on Facebook a few days ago, the way into holiness is not born of gritting your teeth and trying harder. The way into holiness is to gaze upon the one who is holy. The seraphim around the throne of God are called burning ones because they gaze upon the one who burns with holy fire and reflect that nature. Our hands and our heart are cleansed as we gaze upon God and we're changed in that moment. Be holy as I am holy is not an impossible command. It is the fruit of gazing upon God's glory in worship moments that transforms an individual from one degree of glory to another. God gazers do not need to try hard to resist sin. They have a transformed nature that flows from encountering the divine in their worship. Be holy as I am holy is rooted in the enjoyable existence of ongoing God devotion and adoration. Fall in love with God and fall into holiness. Now that's different for trying to try and harder and I think it summarizes a reflex. And then John came on my comments below and said, I was teaching that on Sunday. And then I panicked and thought, as he thought, I've ripped him off. And I quickly flicked through to the chapter on, on holiness. And thankfully, there's nothing in that I put in his book because he knows we're going to do this. But reflex living, natural rhythms of grace, not trying to become someone, knowing you already are someone, and living in the enjoyment of God is where we need to be. Because have you, have you had enough of trying too hard to please God or to be at this, 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 and this, and this, and this, 
and everyone's not happy, and the, the world's looking on and thinking, You're, you, should, you should be the most happy people on the planet. You look jolly miserable. We, we need to go into the depths of intimacy so the world knows that Jesus is wonderful. I'm coming to the end. I'm going to just go to the next slide. So we've got to dig down, which is the opposite spirit to build up, pursuing his presence, pursuing physical, spiritual refreshment. We've also got to expect encounters. You see, God, when we pursue and when we dig down into his presence, and I am going to land this quickly, takes us to Rehoboth. So let me read about Rehoboth. It says, he moved us on from there, and he dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. When we dig down, we will find ourselves in a place of human flourishing. See, when, when you try to do it yourself, whether it's building family, building yourself in your career, building yourself physically, going on holidays for refreshment, when we did things outside of the rhythm of the Lord's provision and the Lord's leading, we find ourselves coming away from our sabbatical or coming away from our career promotion or coming away from this particular family event. And we realize it didn't. So, I know this is a long one. I want to finish this because I want to get it done this week. I'm at West Horton next week. Otherwise, I'd have done three. Rehoboth means broad place. And so, a lot of the time, our quest to be more, which is the Babel thing, our quest to be bigger, have more impact, touch more lives, is born of self-effort. Rehoboth, born of digging down, is where God gives us expansive broader impact because we made more of him not more of ourselves does that make sense and so when we pursue God and we get to find Rehoboth then at that point of digging down we will encounter the Lord there's a lot of people who <clears throat> um, and I know people are more prophetically sensitive to the voice of the Lord but there's a lot of people who haven't known the voice of God either through the scriptures or in terms of by the Holy Spirit and then people who get close to myself and others who, who are prophetic so, so, so how, did you, how did you get to hear God's voice, Steve? How did you hear the voice of the Lord? Can I give you, a, give you a, a really hot tip for those who want to flow in a more prophetic voice? The Bible says, and this is Moses' plea, I wish all God's people were prophets. The way you get to hear the voice of God is to become a worshiper. I told A.D. Piper the other day, I was chatting to him about it, because he's, he's really interested in growing in Christ. Um, and I said to him, I, I pursue the Lord by, the moment I wake up, Rachel knows this, I'll turn on Spotify as soon as I wake up, put some worship on, it'll be dead loud, it'll annoy the rest of the house, but I'm going after God from the moment I get up. Most nights, unless I'm spending time with Rachel and the family, I'm worshipping in my study. I spend most of my time in preparation for sermons, worshipping the Lord, worshipping him, adoring him, gazing on the beauty of his holiness, and in that inter interaction with the Lord, when the Lord sees that we're after him, not particularly after a word from him, not particularly after becoming great in, in public space, but we just want him, it's at that moment that he can trust us with his truth and his word. Because the Bible says friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. And I think the church needs to recognize this, that not everyone, even though there is kids, 
they're not all friends of God. Some are going to start quoting Jesus from John's gospel at me in a minute. Let me explain. It's a bit like a family that has young kids and adult kids. If the adult kid is mature, the parent will often take on a dynamic of being more of a friend with them. And they'll share their hearts, their frustrations, because the grown kid is mature enough to cope with what the adult is carrying. The little kid will not be told about the bank balance or the stress in a particular relationship. It's just not wise. And so this is the way God, God is with us as his children. We're all different. And those that mature in the Lord and grow close to the Lord and develop a nature more and more like Jesus, God will trust them with information. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. <clears throat> to fear the Lord is not to be terrified of his judgment. To fear the Lord is to fear the loss of intimacy with God. So maturity is where we're intimate with the Lord. Will's going to you now. Have a good time, Will. God bless. Coming to the end. And so I think that we need to understand that God wants to say, as he did to Isaac, what he's doing. Listen to this. It says, from there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I'm with you. I'll bless you and I'll increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. Did you see that God, after he found Rehoboth, after he found the broad place from digging down, then showed him he was in the flow of God's purposes from generation before. Because in the past, when we've tried to build ministry, we did it our way. The moment we dig down into his presence, he shows us what he was already doing and is doing and will do and how he'll bless the nations. We need to get back in the flow with God. So this message is in about three things. We've got to survey the land. That is to understand where we are now, the stressful context we're all in. To cut each other a bit of slack and recognize our brain function's been affected, our body's been affected, our relationships have been affected. And the state of being decimated is not the end point, even though it feels like a dead end. But actually, God is calling us to dig down in this desert valley and learn that in that place of pursuing physical and spiritual health, for bodily exercise profits a little, godliness is profitable to all things, in pursuing physical and spiritual health, that God will see a person or people who are after intimacy with him and no other thing. And in that place of intimacy, we will give birth to our Isaacs. We will give birth to what God wants us to do, and the nations will be blessed through us. The church has to learn that it's possible to extend the kingdom by the strength of our own arms. Otherwise, they'll just remain tired and unproductive. And even our Ishmaels that we produce, God will bless them, but they'll be not what the Lord was trying to do through us. And we might even miss out generation to generation. God can bypass entire generations because he's outside of time. But I want this generation to be a generation that says, Lord, you know what? I will obey you whenever, however, for whatever, with whoever. God, you've got my yes. It's one of, let me close with this. One of my prayer sayings that I say a lot of at the moment to the Lord is, you've got my big fat yes. <laughs> it's just some of the things I say to the Lord. I, the Lord's challenging me at the moment about some really profound things that I won't share with you. It's not right to share with you. But every time he says it, I'm like, yes, God. You've got my big fat yes. <laughs> I'll say that to you. Maybe you can join me with that phrase. You might want to choose a different phrase. But God, you've got my big fat yes. I'll do whatever you want. 
Hopefully that is you digging down in this wilderness valley. Thank you for your patience. I wanted to share that word with you. Next week, Justin Charlotte with you. Justin will be preaching. Justin Charlotte leading. I'll be at um, West Horton. Following week, we've got Jonathan Conrath with us. Please come expectant for the supernatural. Um, I, I really believe that there are a lot of people who need physically healing in this season. And Jonathan particularly carries a healing anointing, unlike I've seen very few people have. So don't come kind of, oh, well, it's great having Jonathan here. Come expecting God to move powerfully in any of those meetings that we put on, because there will be God encounter moments. In spite of all you're going through, I can see the hand of the Lord on you all. I see it on you, you know, like the, the army with banners. I see the hand of the Lord on you. And you will come through this. You will survive this landscape. God will bring you into his dawn in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we want to learn the lessons of the wilderness. Lord, we want to know where we are, that it's a stressful time. I guess we know that. But Lord, surveying the land helps us be, fine, be fair to ourselves and kind. To know that you'll lead us to a place to dig down our Rehoboth, where we grow in God. And Lord, I pray also, Father, that as we find those God encounters in the desert experience of this season, Lord, that we understand what your plans are, not what we want to build, but what you want to build through us to touch the nations. Amen.